Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We've got another great show for you today. Here to break down the Mets' top 10 prospects is the one and only Matt Eddy. Matt's been doing the Mets system for years and has a top-to-bottom view of this organization. Matt, the Mets are in a transitional period. They have a new owner. Steve Cohen purchased the team from the Wilpons, a move that many, many a Mets fan celebrated. Sandy Alderson is back as the new team president. The Mets still have not hired a president of baseball operations or general manager, but they are expected to fill out their front office. Before we dive into the prospects and the talent on the field, what do you think this means for the Mets moving forward in the long term? I think it, I think it will have a, a very big impact, a positive impact on the Mets' outlook, uh, just in terms of retaining their own players, uh, which we saw recently with Zach Wheeler's departure via free agency and luring other players into a more stable um, and they project to be more um, winning environment. One of the things that's been talked about is the Mets building up their baseball operations department to become a Dodgers East, if you will. The Mets have been really, really excellent at drafting and developing in recent years. You can see that with the players they have on the field, but they've had a difficult time translating that into long stretches of consistent major league success. Again, they made the world series in 2015. They made the playoffs again in 2016, but there's been a lot of poor trades at the major league level. There's been players playing out of position. There's been some moments that can only be defined as dysfunctional. How much of a difference do you think this will make on that front? Cause again, there's a good drafting and developing a player development apparatus in place, but it's at the top level mistakes have been made. Yeah, I think organizational cohesiveness will go a long way. Like you're saying, that's one one area in which the Dodgers really have no no competitors. They're just so strong from uh, drafting and, and scouting and player development and pro acquisitions. You know, that sort of unified front, like bringing that sort of coherence, I think, would, would benefit the Mets. Um, and, and, you know... The, the trade record has been poor the past two years. Um, simply reversing that would have a big positive impact as well. The Mets have a really interesting core. We've talked about for years how they've successfully developed homegrown players, but the Mets still finished tied for last in the NL East last year. They have some prospects coming up, but it gets a lot of guys at the lower levels. Matt, when you looked at this farm system, there were a couple different candidates for number one. Ultimately, the catcher, Francisco Alvarez, took the number one spot on the Mets' top 10 prospects list. What was it about Alvarez that led him to jump Ronnie Mauricio, who's still a prospect and was number one last year? Well, the feedback from other organizations pointed exclusively at Alvarez. There's just, there's just something about, about him, you know, a very advanced hitting approach for such a young player, particularly a catcher, uh, big power you know, straight away into the opposite field. Um, and, and, you know, the catching, there's no doubt that he will be a major league caliber catcher. 
I don't think anybody expects him to be gold glove caliber. But I think when you combine his, his batting attributes with that position value, you have a potential all-star player, middle-of-the-order all-star player. One of the things that has stood out for a while is he's someone that has gotten consistently positive reports. I remember speaking with an evaluator who saw him even just in minor league spring training before the 2019 season, and he jumped out. He went out, had a really, really good debut, both at the complex level and when he got up to Kingsport. We've seen so much recently that catchers and catcher offense in particular has become a pretty low bar to clear to even just be average. And it seems like Alvarez has a lot of the tools you want to see from someone who has a chance to be a top-level catcher in the major leagues, albeit one who's still very far away. Yeah, very far away. Um, I think the, the most realistic sort of scouting evaluations put average hit plus power um, with, and he'll show you plus plus raw in batting practice. So, you know, uh, that <laughs> would be well above the offensive standards of the position today. Um, so I think that's a reasonable way to, to project it, the most optimistic outcome for Alvarez. How many other players were in the mix for number one here? We mentioned Ronnie Mauricio was last year's number one prospect. Was it just him or were there other guys who received some consideration? How close was it? Uh, yeah, Mauricio was considered, you know, a, a bit of an off year for him just because he was late to the alternate site with some, some family issue and then didn't really catch scouts attention in instructional league. So wasn't the best year for him. You know, he's, he's got a lot of upside to grow into and, you know, the Mets are hopeful he will do that next year. Uh, but other, other prospects considered were Andres Jimenez, who is, is eligible for us, even though he won't be rookie eligible next year um, because of service time. Uh, given, how adaptable he proved to be in the major leagues. He was somebody who had to at least be considered here. And um, Matt Allen, the right-hander, who was the um, third-round pick in 2019, uh, regarded as the best high school pitcher in that draft class. He made huge strides with his changeup at the alternate site this year to really kind of bolster what was already a strong fastball, breaking ball uh, profile. Where does Ronnie Mauricio stand right now, and how do evaluators currently see him? Mauricio, I think the, the, his ability to field shortstop and, and throw at an average to plus level really gives him a solid floor. Um, obviously, you're expecting more offense to develop as he matures. I mean, his, his approach in particular needs work. He needs to be more selective, choose the pitches he can damage. He needs to improve his attack angle, as, as the Mets say, um, because he had one of the higher ground ball rates in the South Atlantic League in 2019. But these are all the things that, are, that he can accomplish. It's just, a, it's just a question of, it's just a matter of waiting to see if he does. You touched on Andres Jimenez earlier. I think one of the more interesting developments over the course of the season was we started to see him gain a greater share of the reps at shortstop. Ahmed Rosario was a very highly touted prospect coming up really struggled defensively in the major leagues. He's been a well below average defensive shortstop really since he came up. Offensively, started to take some steps forward in 2019. The shortened 2020 season took a lot of steps back. 
What is the future of the Mets at shortstop? Is it Andres Jimenez? Do you keep running Ahmed Rosario out there? How does this infield alignment ultimately shake itself out? Well, I think short term, I would expect Jimenez to start seeing most of the work there. I mean, the Mets have already made some proclamations about Rosario being a multi-position player. Um, the idea of him playing center field, um, the idea of Rosario playing center field had been bandied about in the past. Uh, he's a great runner. So I think, I think I would not be surprised to see Rosario get more reps, um, you know, around the infield in center field and have Jimenez, you know, perhaps stake his claim to the short term and possibly um, long-term shortstop regular. Yeah, Andres Jimenez, again, it's a short season. You don't want to go too crazy, but he was very, very impressive in his major league debut, particularly defensively. We saw some good things offensively. Again, at this point, I, I think, as you mentioned, you kind of have to work with him as your starting shortstop moving forward based on who's on the roster. Again, we'll see if they make any big splashes on the trade market, but as of right now, it does seem like this is the guy you probably feel best running out to play shortstop every day. I want to dive in on Matt Allen a little bit. We've seen the Mets have a lot of success developing homegrown pitching prospects or, in other cases, acquiring someone in the lower levels of the minors and bringing them up through their system. What kind of player are we talking about here? He was someone that was very highly regarded out of the draft. He fell a little bit due to some signability concerns. The Mets snagged him, gave him a well-over slot bonus. We had good reviews and instructs. What level of potential starting pitcher are we talking about here? I think if you want to dream on him, you know, the control, the repertoire, and the durability all coming together, it's, it's a classic number two. I think most evaluators would hedge number three when you just consider how long he has to go to reach the major leagues and navigate 180 innings, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, you mentioned the lower-level talent and how, again, there's a long way to go. I think one of the things that stood out to me about this system, you look at your top eight prospects, all but one has yet to play above A-ball, and that's Andres Jimenez. Now, we know history tells us all these guys are not going to make the major leagues. All eight of these guys are not going to hit their ceilings in the major leagues. Alvarez is clearly the number one prospect, and some of that is the conviction that he will reach his ceiling when you look at guys like Mauricio, Matt Allen, their two most recent first-round picks, Pete Crow Armstrong, Brett Beatty, who are the guys that ultimately you and, and scouts feel best about reaching that ceiling and becoming, at the very least, an everyday caliber big leaguer? You know, um, Pete Crow Armstrong, you know, ranks as high as he does with, with you know, nothing on his resume to this point because of the canceled season. Be because of that conviction and his – you know, floor, if you will, to be a, a strong defensive center fielder um, on base and batting average oriented in all likelihood, top of the order type of player. Um, the conviction was pretty strong in that because he does have those, you know, survival tools, if you will, of fielding and running with enough hitting ability. So for me, that's why he ranked fifth. And I think I would view him as probably the next most likely yeah, he was a decorated amateur playing top-level competition in Southern California. And one of the things that always stood out about him was it wasn't just tools with him. He played at a really, really high level instinctually, speed of the game, all the little things that make a big difference and help guys adjust to the next level. He always showed a, a bit of a precocious ability to kind of play to that level that scouts wanted to see. So I'll be curious to see how it really translates because you, you can't really simulate a full season against professionals, but... There's no question there was a lot of faith in him. 
Matt, you mentioned this Alvarez, Mauricio, Jimenez, Allen group is kind of the group that was all in the mix for number one. Pete Crow Armstrong kind of topped the second tier group of guys. How many other guys were kind of in the second tier, if you will? Again, we've talked about Brett Beatty, Mark Vantos, JT Ginn. How many other guys kind of made up the second tier? You know, I, I probably feel that Beatty would probably, number six prospect, Brett Beatty would probably round out that second tier. I think once you get past that point, the probabilities start to go down precipitously. Um, so Beatty for me would be in that second tier as well. And he's, you know, a little more athletic than he's given credit for. You know, he was a three-sport athlete in high school, uh, came to uh, the alternate site in great shape this year. Um, you know, I think even scouts who like him don't expect like big batting averages, but the power and discipline is there. Um, he's probably going to be good enough, uh, flexible enough at third base to stay there. So there's a lot to like if you can live with the, the potential low batting average. He was someone that was a bit divisive out of the draft. He was very, very old for his class. He was a high schooler, but he was 19 and a half at the time mm-hmm. of his draft age. He was the same age as some college sophomores. And we've seen a lot of times players who look great at 19, a lot of times it's because they're beating up on 16-year-olds in high school. And it, it kind of catches up to them once they get into pro ball. One of the things that stood out to me about Beatty and talking with evaluators, and I know for you too, is there's been some conviction that it is real talent. It wasn't just him beating up on guys who physically were not as developed as him. We've heard a lot of, you know, 240 with a high on base percentage and with some power. Just overall, it does seem like the Mets, anytime you're talking about, you know, your number six prospect has, I mean, again, in today's game, 240 with a high on base and, and 30 home runs puts you in potential all-star category it does seem like there is some star power here. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and and you, you don't know how JT Ginn, who ranks number eighth and is recovering from Tommy John surgery. You know, this guy was a first round pick out of high school. Um, there is a chance that he's a number three or number four type starter, you know, a, a playoff start, um, playoff caliber starting pitcher for the organization. Um, we have to see how he comes back, obviously, but there's at least a chance. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with that assessment. David Peterson checked in at number nine. I think just because we're looking at so many lower level guys, there's an argument for him to be higher given what he showed in his major league debut. Long term, what are the Mets looking at with David Peterson? I think, you know, the 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 always ambiguous number four starter uh, tag to throw on these guys. Um, you know, he's he's got a good slider. He really does. Um, you know, working ahead of hitters is going to be key because he needs to be able to get to that slider, you know, unless he develops into this Pat Corbin type of starter where it's just slider after slider and he commands it precisely, you know, to batters at both sides of the plate. Uh, but more than likely, he's going to need to, to work ahead more frequently to duplicate those uh, results from his rookie year. Yeah, again, we've seen a lot of guys come up and be really good their first 50 or so innings, and then the league adjusts to them. But this was a first-round pick, six-foot-six lefty, knows what he's doing out there. I'll be curious to see what he becomes as his career moves on. But it does feel like there's a decent sense that he can settle into that, as you mentioned, number four and number five starter slot. Matt, after Peterson, Josh Wolf, a promising young right-hander, but again, someone who's very, very young in the lower levels, rounded out the top ten. Overall, eight of the top 10 prospects on this list 
have yet to play above a ball. How many other guys were in the mix for the top 10, especially given that this is a group that is very, very short on professional experience as a whole? Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's two college pitchers in the top 10, but everybody else signed internationally or out of high school. (laughs) And that's also true of number 11 prospect, Isaiah Green, who was the, uh, the Mets uh, supplemental second rounder in 2020 uh, with the pick that they got for um, Zach Wheeler signing with the Phillies. Uh, Green, um, a fairly accomplished high school outfielder in Southern California, kind of popped up a little later in his career, but I think some teams were at least a little surprised the Mets were able to land him where they did and, and get him at that um, bonus price point. Um, good field to hit, developing power, um, good runner. He's not a guy where you're going to see a lot of sixes jump off the page, but he's a solid all around, um, probably left fielder down the line. Yeah, he's definitely someone that intrigued a lot of people, uh, drafted out of Corona High School down here in Southern California. And Again, there's a lot of promise in terms of his offensive potential. We'll see if he's able to continue to develop. Was he the only other guy who received consideration for the top 10, or was there anyone else? Yeah, he was really the only one. I think after beyond that point, you're getting, getting into very uh, projectable starting pitcher, uh, far away guys, even farther away than some of the guys we're talking about. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the system develops as we've talked about. Again, you look and you see legitimate upside here. A couple guys who've been on a top 100 and realistically have a chance to be on a top 100 within the next year or so. Um, But there's not a lot of depth, and we know that's something the Mets are going to try and build up. When you look at the players the Mets have in the major leagues right now, again, we've hit on some of these guys, and there are award-winning standout players. It starts with Jacob deGrom. You look at Pete Alonzo, you look at Dominic Smith's development, you look at Michael Conforto, you look at Brandon Nimmo, you look at Jeff McNeil, Noah Syndergaard coming back from Tommy John surgery in 2021 as long as his rehab goes well. There is talent on this team, and they have talented players in the minor leagues to buttress it. What are the biggest gaps that need to be filled to take these raw ingredients and turn it into a winning major league product? Whew. Um the rotation was a big problem in 2020 uh, and projects to be one next year if they don't address it in the offseason. Um, you have DeGrom, you have Syndergaard, perhaps. Um, he, wasn't the, he wasn't the difference maker he had been in the past with what he showed in 2019. So it's, it's difficult to know which version of Syndergaard comes back. Um, but rotation depth is a significant issue. And we talk about the farm system having promise it doesn't have proximity and that that could be an issue yeah just from the outside looking in it does seem like the Mets are going to have to sign a couple of free agent pitchers not just to one-year deal but maybe two or three-year deals again JT Yen is coming off Tommy John surgery Matt Allen's very talented he's also yet to pitch above rookie ball and is a high school right-hander you know how volatile that demographic is so it does feel like they can afford to wait for the position players, Francisco Alvarez, as long as they sign a catcher this offseason. They can afford to wait for Ronnie Mauricio. They can afford to wait for Pete Crow Armstrong and Brett Beatty. It just does feel like, given it's a very position player heavy top 10, and aside mm-hmm. from David Peterson, none of the arms are close to contributing, it does feel like there needs to be at least a couple of two or three year free agent deals given out, if not four and five year free agent deals. 
I agree. And I think they need to shop at the top of the market if the goal is to win next season. Um, and you, you mentioned the catcher thing. Um, I think, you know, improving on Wilson Ramos, you know, his ability to frame and work with the pitchers, I think that will also have a kind of a hidden impact on the 2021 team. Because I, I think if you looked at the numbers, you'd find that most of the Mets starters um, fared worse pitching to Ramos. Yeah, that was often a criticism of him, uh, his defense, his framing. And again, there's a couple of catchers out on the market. We'll see if the Mets go after them, but it's going to be an interesting offseason. Again, a lot of people expect the Mets to make some big moves. Uh, as of December 1st, they have not made those moves yet. It's been a very slow-moving market, but there's talent on the field. There's new ownership in place. There's a new leader, Sandy Alderson, returning to the Mets, and they still have to fill out the rest of the front office, but they have the resources to go out and make some big free agent signees, and we'll see what happens. Matt, any final thoughts on this system and what the future holds for the Mets? No, I think we summarized a lot of the um, most pertinent issues. Now we just have to see how it all plays out. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your insight as always. Thank you, Kyle. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another edition of the Baseball America Prospect Podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Matt Eddy, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.